ain't Asbury something. It's a wonderful thing to hear God's word and to speak God's word. As we listen to the words from the New Testament of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I have no right to retain from working for a living, who at any time pays the expenses for doing military service, who plants a vineyard and does not eat any of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not get any of its milk? Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law also say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. It is for oxen that God is concerned, or does he speak entirely for our sake? It was written indeed for our sake, for whosoever plows should plow in hope, and whosoever threshes should thresh in the hope of a share in the crop. If we have sown spiritual good among you, it is, to, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we still more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure every, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar shall share in what is sacrificed on the altar? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing this so that it may be applied in my case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. No one will deprive me of my ground for boasting. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So... <clears throat> Every, every time there's an election coming up, every candidate for election or re-election does essentially the same thing, right? 
they, they get up on stage and they promise all the people who are going to vote for them, if you just vote for me, I'll give you all the things you want, right? Vote for me and I'll make the world exactly the way you want it to be. I will fix all the problems in exactly the way you want them fixed. I'll make your life better, right? I'll lower taxes, right? Doesn't matter if they have the authority to do it or not, right? They're going to promise it every time. Without fail, every politician does this when they're up for election or re-election. And then, uh, also without fail, once they're elected, they don't do it, do they? <laughs> right? Not one of them. All these lovely campaign promises just don't matter once they're in office. And then we get mad that they didn't do what they promised to do, right? But in a few years, we all fall for it again, don't we? <laughs> whatever, no, you do. You may fall for it from a different politician, but you still fall for it, right? Yeah, we all do it. Because you know what? That right there, that is the most seductive lie anyone could tell you. You can get everything you want without having to work for it. You can get everything you want without having to do anything yourself. I'll do it all for you. You just trust in me. That's right. That's my daughter agreeing with me. <laughs> Raising her right. It's not just in politics, though. Right? It, it happens in every aspect of our lives. How many diet and weight loss pills are on the shelves of our pharmacies today, right? Just take this pill and you'll be thin and beautiful. You won't have to work for it at all. Be great. A few, like 10, 15 years ago, and I can only say this because she doesn't watch my sermons, my sister bought some of these pills. Um, and it was, it, I don't remember the brand name now, but at the time it was everywhere. Like it was on TV commercials and billboards. It was a really popular thing. And, and right, the, the promise, of course, was if you just take these pills in, in like three, four weeks, you'll lose all this incredible weight. It'll be amazing. Well, what they didn't tell you in those ads is the way that that pill works is it messes with your digestive system so you can only absorb a certain amount of fat in a given day. And, and I'll leave the details out, but the rest of it, if you eat more than that amount, it just leaks out. Um, you can imagine how that happens. You know how easy it is to eat more than the amount of fat that that pill will let you eat? All these people who are buying it are risking having grease stains all over their clothing throughout the day because they'd rather take the pill and take the risk than do the work. Everybody knows what you've got to do to be healthy, right? And I'm one to talk. I mean, I, I'm, I don't have six-pack abs. I had the whole keg. You know? Uh, but everybody knows what you have to do. You eat healthy and you move more, right? Maybe you eat less in addition to eating healthy and you, you exercise more. It's that simple. Everyone knows it. And yet, we'll still go buy the diet pill. Or we'll fall for the ad that says, if you just spend $4,000 on this two weeks worth of frozen meals, right, you'll, you'll be magically healthier forever, you know? How many get-rich-quick schemes are out there, right? How many people have sold millions of books saying, if you just spend $10.95 on my ebook, by the end of December, you'll be a millionaire, right? All these insane schemes to get you to where you want to be without putting in the time and the work that it actually takes to do it. We love these shortcuts. These things that we think can get us all the stuff we want 
without all the time and the effort and the dedication and the discipline that the actual experts say is necessary. And the amazing thing is we all know it's a lie. Every time. Every one of us knows what we have to do to be healthy. We all generally know what we have to do to improve our, our finances, right? Spend less, save more, et cetera, et cetera. Get your spending under control. We all know these things. It's not new to us. We'll still fall for the lie. It's that seductive. So when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and you have to remember when you read Paul's letters, by the way, he's always writing to a specific group of people in a specific time dealing with specific problems, but we only get half the conversation because we only have Paul's letter. We don't know why he sent it. So we're kind of left to read the letter and then infer the other half. Um, and you also have to remember that when Paul is writing these letters, he's writing to people who don't have a, a gospel in front of them. Right? The gospels in Paul's day have not yet been written down and distributed. It's like just beginning. And if you're outside of Jerusalem in the immediate surrounding area, you don't have them. So, and, and of course, Paul's letters are the rest of the New Testament, right? So they don't have any of this. What they have, if they have any scripture at all, is they have the Old Testament. And really, most likely, all they've got is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which contain the laws and, and the book of Genesis and that kind of thing. So, they have these, these books that have all the laws in them that you're supposed to follow and all the rituals you're supposed to do and all the things you can and cannot do. And then Paul comes along, or other apostles come along, and they say, great news! Jesus died for your sins. A lot of these rules don't apply anymore. You don't have to offer sacrifices. You just ask God to forgive your sins. They're forgiven. And some groups like the church in Corinth hear that message and go, oh, great. It's party time. Let's go. And they take that message of freedom in the gospel and they run wild with it and they go a little too far. And so sometimes Paul's letters are really him saying, okay, listen, you little freaks. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you didn't get the point. They have this idea, right, that, that I can do anything. The Lord has set me free from sin. I don't have to follow these rules. I can, I, right? The diet is a big one. They don't have to follow the kosher rules for food anymore. Great. I can eat whatever I want. In fact, the whole chapter right before this one is, is Paul saying, you know, I know that you guys are buying a bunch of meat from animals that were sacrificed to idols. You should probably stop that, right? You're supporting something you shouldn't support. Even though the law in Leviticus that says you can't do that doesn't necessarily apply to you anymore, it could be causing other problems. Essentially what he's saying is, look, just, just because you can do it, doesn't always mean you should do it. In fact, in the very next chapter, he'll say everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. So yeah, you can, you can do whatever you want, um, but you shouldn't necessarily do whatever you want. He's having to rein in these people who, who've just gone a little overboard with their idea of what freedom in Christ actually means. He's writing to people in the city that is, um, it's this big bustling port town. If you ever look at a map of Greece, Corinth is on this little peninsula 
that, that connects two parts of the country of Greece, and it connects two halves of the Mediterranean. So in this day and age, it connects two halves of the Roman Empire. So all of the trade that goes from Rome into the eastern part of the empire goes through Corinth because it's faster to go through this port town than to go around the peninsula and go that way like you would normally go. So they literally pull their ships into one half of the city and carry all their cargo to the other half and put it on new ships, and it's faster that way. So this is huge, extremely important, extremely wealthy town that also has probably the most diversity of any city in the Roman Empire. There's people from all over who live there. They're speaking all kinds of different languages. People have trouble understanding one another. And most importantly, they all come from this unbelievable variety of religious backgrounds. So there are the native Greeks who worship the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love, which causes its own problems for them. Then there's Romans who worship Roman gods. There's people from all kinds of hundreds of little tribes that dot the eastern part of the Mediterranean who worship all their own little gods. And then, and then there's a Jewish community. And then there's Paul with his Christians who are being pulled in a thousand different directions by all the religious baggage that they've brought in with them. And he's having to explain to them over and over again what it means to follow in the footsteps of Christ. So yeah, you, can, you guys, you can do anything. That doesn't mean it's a good idea to do whatever you want. Essentially what's happening, right, is they've got this idea in their heads. If, if all we have to do to get forgiveness for sins is ask God for forgiveness, why can't we just do whatever we want and then ask for forgiveness? Uh, that's right. Don't you try that with me, young lady. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. If you read the whole book, he's got things in here about, hey, maybe you shouldn't sleep with prostitutes. Might not be the best thing for you to do. Yeah, God will forgive you. Don't do it anyway, right? (laughs) Things that you and I might take for granted. But for them, new Christians learning all these rules, they're obsessed with their right to do anything. And Paul has to use himself as an example, right? So Paul says to them, look, I, I planted your little church. I'm the, one, I'm the reason your church exists. Well, Jesus is, but he sent me. I have the right to claim money from you. Right? I should be asking you to send money to support me on my other missionary journeys. But do I do it? No, I don't do it. Because I know that money needs to stay where it is to further the gospel in the city of Corinth. So I support myself. I make tents. Everywhere I go, I set up my little shop and I make tents so that the churches don't have to bear the burden of supporting me when they're brand new. See, I make that sacrifice. Then he lists all these other examples, right? Who serves as a a soldier at his own expense, right? You would not expect a soldier to go to war and pay for his own weapons and his own equipment and pay for his own food and drink and his own lodging and his own transportation. No, that's all provided for you. If you're in the army, you get all of that. And in fact, in, in, in Roman day and age, if you were a soldier, no matter where you were from, by the time you were done in the army, you got Roman citizenship, which meant you never had to pay taxes again. And meant when you were done in the army, you got a free pl- plot of land to build your own farm. You got a lot of benefits. But you had to put in the time to serve first. Right? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink any of the milk? You know, if you're tending a flock of sheep, you probably don't own the sheep. Someone else is probably paying you to watch the sheep, but you still get to drink the milk. 
So they're my favorite, right? The oxen, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. You know how they ground grain into flour in the ancient world is they got this big stone basin, put a gigantic millstone right in the middle of it, and then tied an ox to it. And then the ox just walks in a circle all day, turning that stone to grind the grain. <coughs> and, you know, you think about what happens if you put a very large, hungry ox next to a pile of grain all day long. It's going to eat it. You know, that's just, that's like animal husbandry 101. Put the ox there, it's going to eat the food you give it. So what do people do? Well, they muzzle it so that the ox doesn't eat the grain it's chilling out. And, and God, in the book of Leviticus, before the Israelites even have their own grain mills, says to them, when you one day have these, you're not going to muzzle the ox that's, that's doing this for you. And you have to imagine that the Israelites thought, um, Lord, maybe you didn't pay attention when you made the ox. They eat a lot. Um, if, if we put the ox next to the grain, it's, it, it's going to eat the grain, and we need the grain. That's why it's for us. So maybe you should change the rule, God. God says, no, no, just trust me. Don't muzzle it. Let it eat. Kind of bizarre, but... God says, you're going to trust me, and you're just going to have to trust that the ox is not going to eat so much of this grain that you will go without. So they do. And the idea is, if God will provide even for this animal, right? If God cares enough to make sure that the animal you're using to do your manual labor is well taken care of and well fed, he's probably going to take care of you too. Essentially what Paul is saying in this passage is, is that conforming your life to the life of Christ, trying to live a life of sacrificial love as Jesus did, it's probably going to involve some sacrifices on your part. Right? This great line, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? He lists Cephas, who's Peter, by the way. Cephas is just the Greek word for Peter. Right? Peter's the only disciple who's married and has a, a family. Paul says, don't, don't you think I would like to have a family? Don't you think I might like to be married and have kids and have a family to come home to? No, I, 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 mean, I would love it, but I can't do it. You know why? Because I'm always traveling. Because I have to go and plant churches in all these places, and then I have to go back because you idiots keep missing the point. I have to keep writing you letters and dealing with you, and you're like children on your own, and I can't be married and I can't have a family. Right? He's literally telling them, I didn't, I didn't choose because, to not have a family because I didn't want to have a family. I couldn't. That's the sacrifice I made for the gospel. The Lord is asking him to do that. So essentially, what he's saying is, you're going to reap as you sow. If you want to share in the harvest, you have to participate in the work that goes before it. To put it in modern terms, if you want the benefits of the church, you're probably going to have to have some skin in the game. See, God's love is unconditional. His blessings are not. In fact, Scripture is pretty emphatic. God blesses those who are faithful and who do the things he tells them to do. He doesn't always bless the people who aren't faithful. That, after all, is the story of the Old Testament. You can summarize the whole Old Testament with the sentence, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. 
Simple as that. God tells the Israelites, look, here's my covenant with you. If you do what I tell you to do, if you live the way I tell you to live, follow the laws I give you, and, and don't abandon them, I'm going to take great care of you. I'll make your kingdom prosperous and, and powerful and strong, and I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll bless you. You won't have famine or disease or any of the things that trouble all the other nations of the earth. I will be with you. But if you don't, you don't hold up your end of the deal, well, I don't have to hold up mine. And it plays out over the course of the Old Testament, over the course of the history of the kingdom of Israel, on the, the times when they're faithful to God, when they follow the rules they're supposed to follow and live the way they're supposed to live, they prosper. And this tiny little kingdom becomes unimaginably powerful and far wealthier than such a small little place has any right to be. And it's protected. And then when when they stop doing what God tells them to do, when they don't hold up their end of the deal, when they are no longer faithful, they just get wiped off the face of the earth over and over again. They have to restart from scratch. He's a little nicer to us now. Just a little bit. The point is this. When we contribute to the kingdom of God, we are compensated with God's blessings. Plain and simple. We, we are always sowing seeds for something. Whether it's God's kingdom or something else. Right, I'm, I'm a pastor, so people come to me when their lives are falling apart at the seams, right? And I hear all the stories. And, uh, you know, people want answers. They want to know, well, why is this happening to me? And the truth of the matter is, um, because I'm, like Jesus, kind and merciful, uh, I don't usually give them the answer. Because here's the thing. There are, every so often, there's a handful of people who have this Job-like experience where their life completely falls apart, they're experiencing profound misfortune, and there's really no reason for it. It just happens because the world is broken and doesn't work like it should. But most of the time, if a person's life has just fallen apart and they're in the midst of all this misfortune, most of the time, if I talk to them long enough, I can pinpoint all the decisions they made that led them there. I can find all the seeds they've sown to reap that harvest. To the point now where I can almost predict it in other people. You know, if you look at how people raise their kids, right? If, if you see parents who don't give their children any boundaries or any rules or any structure, let their kids do whatever they want all the time, don't exercise their authority as parents over them, well, we all know how those kids are going to turn out, don't we? They're going to have a lot of problems. And then those parents will wonder, how did my child turn out like this? Oh, I can tell you. Right? That's even in the Bible, right? Train up your child in the ways he should go, and in his old age he shall not depart from them. Conversely, we all know people who were, who were raised in the church by faithful, loving, devout parents, and then when they got to me, their young adult years, they left the church. But what happened when they got older? They came back. Train up a child in the ways he should go, and in his old age he will not depart from them. Same thing. You reap as you sow. Sometimes that harvest takes longer to grow than you might think. But it's there, always. So see, you're always sowing for something. I can even see in my own life when, when, when things go bad, I can look back and I can see, 
you know what, this actually started way back here. If I had made that choice differently, this outcome would not have happened. We see it all the time. Our choice is not to sow for God's kingdom or do nothing at all. It's a choice between sowing for God's kingdom and for good or sowing for problems in our life later down the line. Inevitably. And this isn't just money. We've got to be clear on that. This isn't just money. This is time and gifts and talents and energy. All of it. We also have to be clear that because I'm not Joel Osteen, I'm not saying if you just give enough and pray hard enough, God will give you a mansion and a Ferrari and you'll all be happy. Nope, doesn't work like that. But God is very clear that, that to those who are faithful and, and, and who steward themselves well and who, who contribute to the kingdom of God with their gifts and their talents and their resources, he blesses them. Have you ever wondered if you've read the Old Testament enough why when they talk about building the temple and the tabernacle, why they spend so much time talking about the guy who sewed the little curtains that go up here and the person who put the gold up on the wall here and the guy who carved this pillar? Because those people took the talents and the gifts that God gave them and created something beautiful to put in the temple, to put in the tabernacle. And they weren't compensated for it. I mean, no one, no one bought it from them. They just gave it. And then they were blessed. When we give to the church financially, we are sowing the seeds of financial blessing in return. When we give of our time and our energy and our gifts and our talents, we're sowing the seeds for a whole different kind of blessing. But you see, God knows that this is a burden for us. God knows he's asking a lot of us. He knows that, that we have expenses. It's hard and, and frankly scary for a lot of us to just give money away. He knows our time is limited. He knows we're busy. He knows we have all kinds of more important things we could be doing. So he knows that what he asks of us is actually quite a lot. which is precisely why he guarantees us. If we just do it, if we just give, if we just participate, if we just volunteer, if we just serve, he's going to bless our socks off. If you had been here yesterday and seen all that was going on out in the pumpkin patch, the dozens of people, you'd have been blessed. You'd have been blessed. And I know because I stopped by and I saw the joy on the faces of the people who were volunteering. It's a beautiful day. They got to see all these people having fun. What a blessing it was. If you put together a bag of food for one of the families we're going to feed for Thanksgiving, I can guarantee you God's going to bless you. Even if it's just the joy you feel in your heart knowing that there is one less family going hungry on that day. See, we, we don't give just because it's our duty or because we have to make sure that the needs of the church are met. That's not the point. The point is stewardship is an act of worship. This is how we praise our God. It is the proper response to the gratitude we feel in our own hearts to all that God has given us. True acts of stewardship should be these natural things we do without even thinking. 
things we do joyfully and happily. Because we know that the more we do them, the more God blesses us. The more we do them, the more we see God doing great things. You want to see miracles happen and people being blessed, you, you have to put some skin in the game first. Everyone would love to come to church on Sunday morning and have great music and hear a good, uplifting, happy sermon and go home having learned something and then turn on the football game and forget what happened on Sunday morning and go on with their lives. People want that. There are days I want that, frankly. But see, God's very clear. No, no, no. It's more than that. This is more than Sunday morning. This is more than just a thing that makes you feel good for a few hours every week. This, this is the kingdom of God. And the citizens of the kingdom have to contribute. Whatever it is. Money, gifts, talents. You have more to offer than you realize. And God is asking you to sow for that harvest. And he's telling you if you do, you can expect great things to happen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would stand and join me as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. <clears throat> we recite this every week because it's what Christians all over the world of all different denominations and political affiliations and nationalities all believe. It's the only thing we can all agree on. So it's worth it to recite it every day and remind ourselves what it is we believe about our God. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our worship service, we are reminded that we have others joining us by computer, by whatever device that they have on a virtual, and we bid them welcome today as we uh, prepare for our prayer time and we welcome them to prepare as well as we prepare our hearts and our minds in this time of prayer. I ask you just to take a couple of moments to center yourself and to shut the world out just for a few minutes to listen to God and to speak with God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. We praise for you for your words, the words of wisdom that you have given for us to say. Those who have come to worship together in this place and those that are with us virtually today, that we are congregating as one body of Jesus Christ. 
We're so thankful that your line is never busy. You always hear us, even when we're reluctant to call upon you. You know our needs before we ask. And Lord, this morning we know in this world there's so much turmoil. And we know you are the one that can bring peace. On this little spot in the corner of Asbury Church, the building is not the church, but we who are in it. May we be thinking of those that need an encouraging word, maybe just an encouraging smile, a pat on the back, so we can tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing in the world that can satisfy very long except the presence of him. Lord, the, the mind doesn't care what is planted. It's a fertile ground. We can plant good. We can plant whatever we want, the things of the earth. Or we could think of things of the world. We can plant things of Jesus Christ things that can be done for him in this world. Just remembering that our makeup is such an individual thing for each of us that we were created just like we are to serve you with certain talents, certain things that we can do that perhaps someone else can't do as well. There are a body together that works together like a well-oiled machine if we'll only open up and allow that to happen. And Lord, as we think, as the mind is planted with seeds of things that are of the world or of you, that the way we think affects the way we act, and the way we act affects our results. And Lord, we want those results to be of you. We want to think the good things. We want to, you to guide us in all that we do, to plant those seeds that will grow. And sometimes they're watered by someone else and they're harvested, harvested by someone else. But the things that come about in this world, as we give of our time, of our talents, open our hearts and open our pocketbooks to to serve you, not to say that we've given X amount of time or X amount of money, but we have given ourselves completely to you, that we have faith that you're not going to take a small part of us and just use that. You will take all of us and use us to your glory, to use our talents, to use the money that we give, and you turn it into ministry that will magnify and will absolutely amaze us individually and as a group. As Lord, we're told that, we're, that you test us only one place, and that's with our money. Sometimes we have a tendency to give what's left over. Help us have the courage to give at the beginning of what we have and the faith that you will carry us through with the rest Help us to step boldly out with our talents and not be afraid. Not be afraid to use them or to offer them. Help us to be bold about your service to you. 
and leave the results to you and for us to see what happens. Lord, now as we open our hearts to you, use us. We ask in your name. And know it is a long time ago as you taught your disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. That prayer still stands today as strong as it did then. That we use it collectively as a group as we all pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we sing our final song, I remind you that the offering boxes are by the two doors on your way out. If you've not placed your offering in there already, you can do so as you leave. You can give online as well. That's how I like to do it. But don't forget your pledge card either. You've got like three more weeks to grab one of these and take it home and pray over it. And I want to encourage you to actually pray over it. Don't, don't just open up your bank account or your, or your paychecks and look at what you, you know, have in there. But, but actually, before you do any of that, just pray about it. Ask God to reveal to you what it is he wants you to do in the next year. What he wants you to contribute, not just financially, but also uh, of your gifts and your talents and where you might give back to the kingdom of God. Do that before you do anything else. And then bring these back on October 31st, the final Sunday of our stewardship series, the last Sunday of October. And we're going to turn these in together all at once during the offertory time in our worship service. So let's pray over these. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the ways in which you've provided for us and cared for us, for all the blessings you've given us. And we ask that you would reveal to us how it is you want us to give back. Lord, we pray that the leadership of our church would have the wisdom to use this offering as you would have us use it. And we pray your blessing on those who have so generously given back to your kingdom. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.